Welcome to Business Lens Broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson. I'm joined as always by Chris Hill, host of Motley Fool Money, the number one stock investing radio show in America. You can actually find that show on WKXL where we are broadcast but you can also find this show and we're in the Beyond Politics podcast feed. Hope you'll subscribe. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well, all things considered. And when I say all things considered, I'm referring to uh, the, the market doldrums. You know, there's, there's an old saying uh, that, that we hit on at the beginning of every summer, sort of late spring. And it's the old Wall Street adage, sell in May and go away. The idea being like, oh, if you're a trader, now's a good time. Just just sell your stocks, take the summer off, come back, you know, because the summer's not a great time to invest. And uh, it's one of those adages that does not hold up over time. Uh, and and at the Motley Fool, we believe in long term investing, so you want to stay invested in the market even through bad times. That being said, all of that was prelude, Matt, to the old adage about September not being a great month. Ah, that's holding up. That's con- that one's continuing to hold up. This really ha- we're two thirds of the way through the month of September. It hasn't been a great month, but um, but you know, time in the market is so much better and more important than trying to time the market. Well, I'd like to borrow here from the Brian Windhorst meme. I know you and I are both big NBA fans. His big meme, if you didn't see it, I don't know, you you were, I guess, asleep over the summer, was his really fascinating ESPN rant. Why would they do that? Which, anyway, look it up. Google it. It's fun. I kind of want to pick up on that. Why why would they do that? And I mean the market. I'd, I'd like to take a look at a couple of pieces of data input, news input, and kind of the market reaction, get your take on all of it. So, you know, the first piece that we got was obviously the most recent set of inflation numbers. And the story it told wasn't dire. It wasn't the sky is falling. It was, hey, you know, inflation had started to go down. Gas prices have continued to go down, but we kind of plateaued a little bit in August. Some things went down, some things held steady, some things went up and the market fell precipitously. Why? Why would they do that? It's a great question because I, I think that part of what is so challenging for investors, for economists, for everyone tied to the, to the stock market right now is the genuinely unprecedented time we find ourselves in. And so I think, uh, you know, in normal circumstances, um, we wouldn't have seen the same reaction. Um, But so much of the conversation is around inflation, um, and rightly so. Um, As you and I are having this conversation right now, the Federal Reserve is having the the start of their two-day meeting on Wednesday afternoon, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, there will be an announcement from the Fed, and uh, whatever uh, the announcement is on interest rates, whether it's the Fed is going to uh, increase rates by half a percent, a full percent, three quarters of a percent, whatever it is, Matt, I'm betting on a sizable portion of people overreacting to it, and I, I, I you know, I, I don't blame anyone for that. Um, not after the pandemic, not after everything we've gone through, not after, by the way. More than a decade of essentially free money, interest-free money 
from the federal government. So it's it, it we are seeing a continuation of pain. I think we'll continue to see that. And we can we can get into sort of um, what to expect for the next three months or so. But um, I, I think this has become the new norm that um, that until there are um, not just one, you know, n- not just a single data point, but collective groups of data in terms of inflation, in terms of interest rates, in terms of major companies and what they are reporting and seeing until all of those are aligned, I think we're going to continue to see more of the reactions like we saw last week. Well, it, to me, just continues the theme we've talked about on the show before that the stock market reality and the real economy reality are not the same reality. It's a whole bunch of perceptions and biases and heard reactions to, wait, oh my gosh, inflation didn't go down. That means the Fed is likely to be really hawkish in their continuing attempt to kind of clamp down. And so, you know, it, it, Anyway, I, I mean, it, it it seems to be. Oh, go. Well, I was just going to say, well, you know, one other part of the story for the market last week um, had to do with a specific company, and that's FedEx. FedEx, okay. which is considered by a number of people to be a bellwether company because it is tied into so many small businesses and large businesses uh, across America and around the world. Uh, FedEx came out at the end of last week with uh, a bad earnings report and even worse guidance in terms of what they were seeing. And so um, uh, there was, uh, you know, it was already not a great week for the market because of the inflation data, and it turned much worse because of people reacting to FedEx. The one caveat I will I will point out, though, Matt, is that we've seen this movie before from FedEx. You can go back to 2018, 2019. You, you can go back pre-pandemic where FedEx came out with similar reports and similar dire warnings for what it meant for the economy. Um, and it didn't really end up that way. So um, that's why I'm thankful that um, there is not one single bellwether stock out there. I, I happen to believe that FedEx is a bellwether, but I think it's one of a number of bellwethers. And so um, I want to hear from some other companies in the in the coming weeks and months uh, before I'm ready to proclaim the U.S. economy in dire trouble. You said something interesting this weekend on the Motley Fool Money Show, which everyone should listen to and subscribe to, which was that if pessimism were a stock, you'd be buying. And I wonder if maybe my take on that would be if uncertainty were a stock, I'd be buying that. I mean, you're you're more tied into sort of the market mood than I am. So you're probably right about that. But the major read I get is uncertainty. The economic data are so weird. They're so all over the map. You could squint and Rorschach test your way to telling yourself any number of different stories and theses. And look, people are storytelling machines. We want to know what the story is here. And so I read a new input, a new set of data here, like the Michigan Survey of Consumers. We've talked about it before. I just had the director, Dr. Joanne Shu, on the Beyond Politics show, and she kind of walked us through what it means and how well correlated that index is with the actual subsequent performance of the economy. It's a really good bellwether. If you look at the what, what consumers tell the University of Michigan they feel about the economy, it tends to become reality. 
in the other economic data we look at. So we just got a new set of numbers from them at the end of last week. What do they say? They say consumers are not sure. Things are continuing to go up a little bit in terms of consumer sentiment, but not that sharply. The expectations of inflation are going down. They're actually at their lowest reading since last September. That's good. But consumers just don't have a clear sense of where the economy is going long-term. They're not feeling a lot more bullish about buying durable goods, for example. So what you get out of a picture like that is sort of, we don't know. We don't know what to think. We don't know what the future holds. To me, that feels like the biggest connection point to that kind of herd mentality in the market where you think you see a cheetah and you start running. I, I think you're right. And I think that, you know, the pessimism that I talked about is um, a ripple effect of the uncertainty that you just laid out there. Mm. Um, the, the context is everything, right? And the context here is that we got about three months left in the calendar year and barring some stunning reversal of the stock market, it's going to be a bad year for the market. It's going to be a bad year for investors. And so I think the pessimism that I was referring to is an offshoot of that uncertainty and combine, you know, combine that with the, let's just go back to late 2021, the nearly 12 months of a largely downward ride of the market. There's no uh, incentive for people on Wall Street to be overly optimistic right now. So I, uh, I'm buying pessimism as a stock in part because it's logical. It, you know, at this point in time, it's logical for people to be pessimistic about the immediate fortunes of uh, the companies that are going to start reporting earnings in October. And what you get so used to in the market is people pricing in expectations. If you think something is going to happen and then it happens, then usually there's not a huge market reaction because it's like, we already expected that to happen. In this case, what's your prediction about the reaction to what I think is the inevitable substantial interest rate increase coming from the Fed? You would think that that would be the expectation and therefore it would be priced in. But do you expect the markets to react strongly again, even though they know it's coming? Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've given up being surprised by <laughs> short-term reactions to the market, um, in part because um, you know this year in particular, there have been so many, not just, not just the interest rate hikes, but there have also been like you know, individual companies that will come out with an announcement and the stock will drop dramatically. And I'll turn to you know one of the analysts who's a regular on Motley Fool Money, and I'll say, is this a surprise? Were, were people actually expecting something different from this company in, at, at this point in time? Um, and the answer is always, yeah, apparently. There were, you know, there were enough people because the, the stock is selling off. Um, so uh, I, when we get the announcement Wednesday afternoon, I, the only thing that will surprise me is if the market stays right where it is. If, it, if, if there's no movement in the stock market Wednesday afternoon, that's the only thing that will surprise me. Hey, for economics geeks out there, and I know there's a few of you, let that be the last nail in the caution of the rational expectation school of economics. We are definitely in Kahneman Tversky land here, behavioral economics. It's, it's an emotional reaction, but Again, at the Motley Fool, 
you guys preach, take the long-term view. That's exactly why, because these perturbations in the market are so weird. And I'm just not convinced that in a short-term sense, they have that much to do with economic reality. All right. You know, I think, I think I've gotten myself bummed out just long enough. Hey, I want to check back in on a story that we've been tracking on this show. I know you've been tracking on a Motley Fool Money, which is this migration of the NFL to Amazon. And you have a new development there coming out of Amazon. What are you seeing? So a little bit of context here. Uh, last week uh, on the radio show, we had as our guest, John Orant, um, John Arand uh, is a Washington, D.C. native who um, writes for the Sports Business Journal. Um, he covers sports media in particular. And so one of the things we talked about on the most recent show was uh, the NFL and Amazon getting exclusive rights to Thursday night football. They'd had sort of shared rights for a number of years, but last week was the first time that Amazon and Amazon alone had the Thursday night football game. And it was interesting because, and maybe this is because I'm an Amazon shareholder, I was a little bit more bullish on uh, Amazon's prospects here than uh, John was. Um, John was saying, you know, I'm not really sure what they're trying to do here. They've invested... And this is a good reminder. Um, he said, you know, Amazon didn't just pay $1 billion for the rights to Thursday night football. They're also investing heavily in the production. Mm -hmm. um, they, they don't want, they want this to look like a network television game. Um, so they are paying up for production values. They're paying for Al Michaels, you know, sort of maybe, maybe the, um, you know, sort of signature play-by-play -play announcer in uh, NFL football. Um, so it, it was a good reminder that Amazon has a lot riding on this. Um, earlier today, we got some data out of Amazon that um, they had the biggest number of new signups for Amazon Prime um, in a three-hour window than they've ever had before. Um, that is certainly some interesting cherry-pick of data that they are doing right. there, because I'm sure if it was the most signups they'd had in a 24-hour period, they would have shared that information. Um, Sounds like shareholder catnip there. Uh, it, it, it does a little bit. But, you know, it, it's interesting because that, that was, in all seriousness, that was one of the legitimate questions going into the game. And really this season for Amazon was, wait a minute, are people who are not members of Amazon Prime, are they going to sign up for it? so they can get Thursday night football. And uh, at least some of them did. Is sports on streaming a loss leader? Is it the skinny edge of the wedge to get people into the Amazon Prime ecosystem? Or are they making this investment because they want to give people the taste and this is itself an end that they're, that they're shooting for? So for a number of years, the part of Amazon's business that, that went unnoticed by uh, most people who shopped on Amazon and a lot of people on Wall Street as well was Amazon Web Services, um, sort of their, you know, their, their uh, hosting part of the business that really turned into a, a cash machine for them. Um, I would argue that the part of the business uh, that Amazon runs now that is going unnoticed by a lot of people is their advertising business. Um, they have very quietly built an advertising business that does, I believe, 
more than $10 billion a year in revenue. So I think that while Amazon has earned the benefit of the doubt from Wall Street in terms of creating loss leaders and eventually getting them to profitability, if that's where this started out, don't be surprised if they if this in and of itself becomes profitable sooner rather than later from an you know from the advertising that they run during the games to apparel sales or you know any sort of sales tied to the game that they can directly attribute to the fact that they have this game um it it, it and of course uh, prime signups as well so it's um i think it's a very fair question at the end of the season uh, to, you know, for some Wall Street analyst to ask uh, CEO Andy Jassy on a conference call, all right, how did it do? Um, and and see if uh, you can get Amazon to break out specific numbers. Do you expect Al Michaels at some point this season to ask, do you believe in Alexa? <laughs> I don't think they're paying him that much uh, to, to do that. Yeah, what but, would it take? <laughs> but who knows? You know what? Maybe I... You know, Al Al Michaels still getting it done. He's in his seventies, so I mean, uh, I salute Is the guy. He maybe in his eighties. Do we need to do a quick Google on this? I the, the man is amazing. He's he's absolutely the gold standard. And look, if you've never seen basketball, I urge people to go out and see it because it will burst all of your perceptions of him um, and completely make you see him in a in, in a brand new way. So you should. In less than two months, he will turn seventy eight years old. Wow. A mazel tov to you, Al Michaels. You are you are still out there crushing it. Um, hey, while we're on a fun note, let's let's close. Let's close on a fun note here. Right before we got on the air, you brought to my attention an extremely important, a delicious story, as it were. Would you like to share what that story is with our listeners? Uh, a story that um, is is so great, it's it can't possibly be made up. Uh, Doug Ramsey is the name of the chief operating officer at Beyond Meat. Uh, listeners may be familiar with Beyond Meat as the uh, plant-based uh, uh, protein substitute company. Uh, apparently, uh, over the weekend, at a uh, after a University of Arkansas football game. Uh, the chief operating officer of Beyond Meat, Mr. Ramsey, got into an altercation with another fan um, that led to uh, him, among other things, biting this person's nose. He got into a fight with a, a guy and in the fight ended up biting his nose. And, you know, the cannibalism jokes and <laughs> the meat jokes, themselves. they just write themselves. But on, but on a more serious note, if you're the CEO of Beyond Meat, um, you have got to deal with this now. And well, do, what wh- what do you do with your chief operating officer? Do you suspend him with pay, without pay? Do you fire him? Uh, this is this is something that they probably don't teach at Harvard Business School. There's got to be a way to jujitsu this into some kind of a marketing campaign oh. that, about going beyond. Meat. Isn't there? Come on, no. Madison Avenue, somewhere out there, Don Draper. There is someone, look, if you're listening and you have a great idea for how this company can turn this into an advertising positive, email us or hit us on Facebook, hit me on Twitter at at Matt L. Robeson. I really want everybody's ideas. I have to say the Morningstar Farms soy burger, 
Grillers Prime or whatever. It's fantastic. And I'm in no way looking for advertising support for this show. Hey, Chris Hill, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure, man.